When newspapers want to grab your attention with a headline about a major event, they use what they call second coming type. One prophecy expert says it's the kind and size of font that jumps off the page, grabs the reader by the throat, and screams, read me. Of course, media moguls call it second coming type because there is no bigger event in history than the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's bigger than the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor or the terrorist attacks of 9-11. It's more monumental than the surprise election of a president of the United States, whether his name is Truman or Trump. Do solemnly swear. Pull out the second coming type because Jesus is coming soon. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. The first time around, Jesus came as a servant and a savior. But when he returns at the end of this age, the world will see him in all his glory. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Always glad to have you join us. And today, Ron takes us to Revelation chapter 19 to share a message about the second coming of Christ. It's all part of his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. And it comes your way next. Stay right here, or you can look for us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Revelation chapter 19, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, as he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a servant as a sacrifice for our sins, as a savior. When he comes a second time, he comes as a warrior, as a judge, and as a king. And listen to the descriptive words that John uses here. He comes as a warrior. He says, heaven opened up and I saw someone sitting on a white horse. This is the horse of, of, a, of, of a commander, of a of, a, of, of a one who has, has made conquest over his enemies. Remember the last time we saw a white horse in the book of Revelation? It was in Revelation chapter 6 when we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and the first horse, uh, the first horseman was on a white horse. This was the Antichrist who emerged on the scene of the world. Uh, in our understanding, uh, you know, good guys ride on white horses. But in Revelation chapter 6, this was a bad guy disguised as a good guy. That was the Antichrist. 
And the devil's always trying to counterfeit whatever Jesus does. No, the real good guy on a white horse is in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. This is Jesus. The first time he came, he rode into Jerusalem on a humble donkey, did he not? When he comes a second time, he's riding on a warrior's horse. And John tells us, in righteousness, he makes war. Does that disturb anybody here? That that Jesus who frolicked in the fields with the lambs and was born in Bethlehem is a warrior? When he fights a war, it's a just war. Make no mistake about that. It's the only just war that perhaps has ever been fought on planet Earth. But he comes in righteousness. In righteousness, he makes war. And how does he make war? What are the weapons of his warfare? John tells us that he has a sharp sword from his mouth uh, by which he strikes down the nations. I think it's interesting that the armies of heaven are clothed in, in, in pure white. Can you, can you imagine putting our, uh, our military in, in white battle gear? They get messed up in a second, right? But the armies of heaven, the saints of God, church age and otherwise, are, are, are coming with Jesus. The armies of heaven, they're riding on white horses too. But they never have to shoot an arrow or fire a gun or anything like that because Jesus fights this, this war with His words. In the same way that he spoke the worlds into existence and created everything by saying, let there be light and otherwise, he fights the enemies of the Antichrist and the false prophet with a sword that comes out of his mouth. One of the names that is mentioned here, he is the Word of God. He speaks the Word of God and defeats, defeats his enemies, and that's why the armies of heaven can still walk around in their white garments and not be soiled, as it were. He's a judge also. He's faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges. His eyes are like flames of fire, John says, and he is the Word of God. You see, you can either receive Jesus as your Savior today or face Him as your judge tomorrow. You can either receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today or He will do battle against you as a warrior tomorrow. You can either receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today or one day, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because He comes the second time as a warrior, as a judge, and as a king who has many diadems. Remember the two types of crowns in the Bible, the Stephanus, which was like an Olympic, you know, award for the competitor? And then the diadem was worn by the ruler. Jesus comes the second time with many diadems, uh, perhaps as many diadems as he has names mentioned of him in the Bible. And speaking of names, there are three specific names that are mentioned in this description of His second coming. One, He is the Word of God. He is also called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then there's a secret name, a name that nobody knows. Now, remember, God is the great revealer of mysteries and secrets, and it's His prerogative to reveal or conceal His mysteries. And He does that here. There's a, there's a name that nobody knows but Jesus. And it's also an indication that there are some aspects of God's person and His nature that are perhaps beyond human comprehension. But there is a name that He comes with 
when he comes a second time that only he and the Father know, and perhaps the Holy Spirit as well. Let's read on in verse 17 and see what happens. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice, and he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and <clears throat> excuse me, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Here Jesus comes to do war. He's fighting the battle of Armageddon. The great nations of the earth have, have, have gathered together in the valley of Jezreel, that, that uh, battlefield that Napoleon saw, saw as the greatest place to do war. And the carnage that takes place, uh, the only way to clean it up is for heaven to say to the birds and the fowl of the air, come and feast on the flesh of the kings and the warriors who fight against God. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Again, with his words, Jesus fights the battle. Don't mess with marriage, and don't mess with the Word of God. It's a sword of the Spirit to fight spiritual battles, and Jesus uses that sword in the, in the war to end all wars. It's a fascinating scene, is it not? The blessed hope of the church. We're living in difficult times. Uh, we live in a a lost, sinful, fallen world that sometimes produces despair in our hearts, which makes the hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ even more palpable. Even so, come. Please come today, Lord Jesus. But we wait, do we not? We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something Good Radio is a 100% listener-supported ministry. We depend on your prayers and financial support to help Ron share the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you give this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own, the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse the last days of planet Earth, and the return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, the last days of planet Earth, and the return of Jesus Christ. A teaching series from Dr. Ron Jones and, for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now from Revelation chapter 19. Here's Ron with the rest of today's message, the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Uh, The disciples waited for the Holy Spirit to come. 
the church was birthed, and we've been waiting for 2,000 years for his return. How do we wait? You know, it's amazing when you read through the New Testament, it, it doesn't take long for the writers of the New Testament on whatever subject they're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to weave it into some anticipation of the second coming of Jesus and apply it to how we live our daily lives in anticipation of it, waiting for… We are like a bride waiting for our groom. We are the church ready for you, we sing. Are you ready, church? Are you ready? Here are three ways, at least we could talk about perhaps 30 ways in the New Testament, but here are three ways to wait for the second coming of Jesus. Number one, develop the habit of church attendance. You say, oh, pastor, how do we get to, from the second coming to being in church on Sunday? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says this, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the great and mighty day of the Lord. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. As we see that day approaching, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to gather together in worship. We're supposed to be the church, gathered and scattered. Here's my question for you this morning. Is being in church on Sunday a priority to you and your family? Oh, I know you're here this morning. It was a priority this morning. But my question is this, is it really truly a priority for us to be together? Or do you just kind of fit it into your schedule when you don't have something better to do on the weekends? I mean, seriously, friends. As followers of Jesus Christ who are truly waiting and anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of the man... Uh, the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, the culture will always find something else to do on Sunday than to be in God's house. Have you built a rhythm into your life and into your family life where you think twice about putting anything on your calendar that takes you away from church on Sunday, this church or any other church? That's how you wait for the second coming of Christ. No better way to receive our heavenly groom than to be the church gathered, the bride of Christ gathered, worshiping Him. So develop the habit of church attendance. Number two, commit yourself to the Word of God. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, Paul's just warming up to tell him three important words, and he just, he just layers in some theology there, and, he, and he, he, he kind of weaves in the appearing of Jesus Christ, his second coming. And Paul goes on to say, in light of all that, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach it in season and out, season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, re- exhort with patience, and, and teaching, he says. I went to a seminary where I got my master's, Dallas Theological Seminary, and chiseled into stone on the front lawn of the seminary were those three words, preach the word. 
And that ingrained in me, you know, a part of my calling. Preach the word. Uh, this is not just a word to preachers, although you know, Paul was giving that to Timothy, who was about to assume the helm at the church at Ephesus. You know, he says, Timothy, you, know, you, you can talk about a lot of things, but above all else, give him the word of God. As we're waiting for his appearing, he says, in light of his appearing, preach the word. Uh, the, re- the other side of that is just, just be people as we are here at Atlantic Shores, who are committed to the Word of God. Is it a priority in your life? Is this book we call the Bible a priority in your life? As pastor of this church, you you, you can always count on me to make it a priority to to deliver the Word of God. I'm not an entertainer. Uh, I'm, I'm not Dr. Phil giving good advice, you know, Ron Jones advice. I'm, I'm here to preach the Word of God, and to aim it to our lives so that we live out this truth in a very practical kind of way. Let's be people of this book. Let's commit ourselves to the Word of God. Number three is pursue personal holiness. And here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. He could have stopped right there, but then he adds, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. When was the last time you took a personal inventory of your spiritual life and dared to ask the question, is there anything in my life that is not rightly related to God? A habit, an attitude, a belief, something? Do you you ever dare pray like the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you someone who pursues personal holiness so that when Jesus comes, he finds us blameless before him? Not perfect. A blameless person is not a perfect person. A blameless person is somebody who deals honestly and transparently before the Lord with all of his sins and mistakes. And in one sense, we are are positionally perfect and holy before God, but is that practically becoming more and more true in your life as you pursue personal holiness? Uh, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians who had uh, massive questions about the second coming of Christ, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to come for a bride that is pure and blameless and clothed in white garments. And yes, there's a sense in which that is positionally true, but let's make it more practically true in our daily living as we pursue personal holiness. You see, the second coming of Jesus Christ or any aspect of Bible prophecy is not just, you know, theory and rhetoric and, 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 and something you read about in a Bible encyclopedia. It has real implications for our lives every day as we wait, as we anticipate, as we ready ourselves as a bride waiting for our groom. We are the church ready for you, we sing. Let's live that out in everyday life. Let's make sure that's true of, of this church and larger as the body of Christ across the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the promised hope that is ours. 
as the bride of Christ, knowing that our heavenly groom is preparing to come, waiting for the moment that you say, Father, go, and you release your son to come. We say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and in a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ron, you talked about committing ourselves to the Word of God as a key ingredient in preparing us for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Before we wrap up today's program, could you talk about the importance of immersing ourselves in it and the power it can have in our lives? Well, Brian, I think it's the easiest thing in the world for us to sometimes take God's Word for granted. It's so easily accessible in this day and age, so readily available to us, that somehow the mystery and wonder of it can get lost on us from time to time. But let's think about the power of the Word of God. With a word, God spoke the world into existence. With a word, He caused the lame to leap, the dumb to speak, and the dead to rise. And let's not forget the power it has to save. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? (laughs) Well, by the Word of God. Not emotional appeals, not intellectual arguments, but by the Word of God. So the power of the Word has been shown to bring physical life and healing and also spiritual life and healing. I think it's important for us to immerse ourselves in God's Word for many reasons, but let me quickly point out two of them. First, it is our primary source of spiritual growth as believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. We need God's Word for our own spiritual survival. We cannot maintain spiritual health and maturity without a consistent devotion to His Word. Uh, The spiritual man or woman becomes malnourished without this steady diet of Scripture. Uh, So, Brian, it's crucial for our own well-being. Secondly, when the the power of God's Word transforms us, we are better equipped to share Christ with others. And that's essential because there is no substitute for God's Word as the primary tool for sharing the gospel. You might remember that the Apostle Paul, speaking about his strategy for witnessing to others, said that he decided to do away with flowery speech and and focus on Christ and Christ crucified. He would go to the temple, open up the pages of Scripture, and use the Word of God to show the Jews that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. So I would suggest to you, uh, to to those who are listening today, that, that you cannot experience the full measure of joy or the full measure of God's peace or even the full confidence of knowing God's will for your life or your best ability to even share the gospel with others unless you immerse yourself in the holy, infallible Word of God and submit to the power contained therein. Friend, it is the most important ingredient to a healthy, victorious life. And in fact, without the Word of God, one cannot truly live at all. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on the power of the holy, inspired Word of God. Ron, as we wrap things up here on this Thursday edition of Something Good Radio, tell us where we're headed tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse. 
Well, Brian, I think if we look back on American history or world history for that matter, we find that people of every country, of every century, share at least one thing in common. They are or have been dissatisfied with their government, (laughs) at least on some level. Too many taxes or not enough jobs, too much power in government or not enough in the hands of the people. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Some people have even been opposed to the very form of government. Now, this was true even in ancient Israel. God did not want them to have a king. That was not his plan. But Israel begged for a king because other countries had a king. So God gave them what they asked for. But the day is coming when God will set up his government on earth, a true theocracy. What will it look like? How will it be run? Well, join us tomorrow to find out. That's tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Government of Christ on Earth. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.